You're listening to the Rad Podcast. Explore wealth. Different model, a different way, different way of doing business. Mm-hmm. Parts of the country, twenty four seven, seven days a week. I was just done with the gurus. If somebody gives me thirty to fifty thousand dollars, that should be a lifetime relationship for Podcast Nation. Because if you give me that kind of money, I have an obligation, in my opinion, a responsibility to see you succeed. Well, hello and welcome, everybody. Dutch Mendenhall here. We're going to have an exciting lesson tonight on property evaluation and driving properties and how do we use our system in order to make that a reality. You know, my belief is that the single greatest way to get pre-auction deals, the single greatest way to know that you're going to get a phenomenal deal no matter what, was to go out and work pre-auction deals. Go out and drive properties, go out and knock on doors, go out and really get dirty doing this business. Now, I never recommend going out and doing it by yourself. I always recommend going out and doing it. And and over the years of doing this, uh, very rarely, if ever, I felt like I was walking into some dangerous situation. But if you ever felt that way, then just move on to the next house. There's another another fish in the sea. So as we get into evaluating properties, why this becomes so important is because if you're going to buy something, you need to know how to measure it, how to quantify it. What's a reasonable bidding price? What's a reasonable way for you to buy? And so there's lots of you know measurables in order to do that and lots of ways that we do that to keep this simple so let's get started uh it's going to be a great lesson for all of you this evening um and then we'll be able to answer any questions that you have but uh let's rock and roll so you know one of the funniest things that i've ever seen when we were implementing this business and getting it going was red fire ants um i just share this story as a good way to break us in here so we were on an auction trip and one of our you know cardinal rules is don't touch anything um, and so, you know, lo and behold, you know, I'm the expert, I'm the, the, the guru, I'm the, the guy who knows everything. And I go to take my smartphone and put it through a crack, uh, in a doorway in order to get a picture on the inside, on the other side of a, a door. And, uh, I put my hand there, put my phone there to take the picture and I take the picture. And next thing I know, I feel these sharp pinches in my left hand and I look down on it and it's just ants. You know, I don't think that big of a deal. Um, got a couple of ant bites. Um, and you know, I ended up getting three ant bites on my left hand and, you know, it immediately began to swell and I had never really experienced, you know, red fire ants before. And I didn't know they were that bad. And, you know, these things were like bee stings and my hand started to swell and it started to get, you know, just not, not very pretty picture. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I tell everybody not to touch something. And as soon as I touch something, when I'm out evaluating and look at properties, I get bit. And so then one of our students and what ended up happening, I was slightly allergic to him. So it was not a pleasant experience for me, but it ended up happening. We got in the vans to drive on to the next property, and one of our students says to uh, one of one of the other students, um, as older, this uh, gentleman, he's a very funny guy from Canada, he says, you got ants all over your back. And he's like, what? And it was just, you know, this immediate thing where he jumped out of the car and suddenly felt the ants by him. The guy had hundreds of ants on him, and he strips down to his chonies, down to his underwear, in the middle of the street in a semi- inner city neighborhood, this pasty white, just, you know, guy in his forties. And he's got three women, um, that are hitting him with their, with their notepads, knocking the ants off of him in the middle of the street. And it is just one of those more surreal experiences. Now, thank God he wasn't allergic to them like I was. So he had nothing more than hardly even a red mark after the ants had been him, but he had probably 20 or 30 ant bites. And it was just one of those things. It's just one of those memories of a lifetime. So when you're out by, when you're out evaluating properties, make sure you don't touch anything. 
um, and you're going to create some memories. So it's, it's a lot of fun. So today we're going to be covering driving properties. We're going to briefly go over the kits. We do a more in-depth lesson to that, and we're going to talk about the technology you use to do it. And so, you know, when I'm out driving properties, I like to get a familiarity with the city before I go into it. And so, you know, I like to take a look at a map of the city and look at the overall overview. And understanding property in cities is very important. Now, this isn't and always with cities, but this is very common. Usually your core of downtown as a circle is one where you start to see, you know, pretty strong high-end properties, right? Um, especially if you have a river running through downtown or you have some type of water that downtown, but your core, your high-rise buildings are going to have, you know, really high property values and they're going to be less houses, obviously, and a whole lot more, uh, you know, condominiums, apartments, those kind of things that are for sale. And and so that's kind of your core of downtown. And then you get into a circle right outside of downtown that's usually fairly wealthy um, and fairly, fairly nice off. But then you have another core right around that that's a much bigger core where usually your inner city exists. And you just kind of put these things in circular cores going outside the city. And then that's where your inner city exists. And then leading out to the suburbs, you'll kind of start to see the income come up. So you'll go from inner city to lower, lower income uh, to, to, to lower middle class to middle class to, to upper middle class. And you'll have pockets of some high-end neighborhoods, but typically when you draw cities and you, and you map them out, you'll see this periodically disbursement of wealth that is there. And so it kind of gives you an idea when you're going into a neighborhood, what kind of properties you're going to be looking at, what kind of values you're going to be looking at as you plot your roadmap, as you plot your, your target to go look at properties and stuff. And so all of these things are good. I like hot mapping cities where we color code them where, you know, red means, you know, the city's going down negatively. Yellow means it's pretty stagnant in that area. And green means it's up and coming. And I like to look for trends of the merging markets because obviously where things are go red, yellow, green, it's those yellows that are turning into greens are very, very good places to buy where the values are still tight, but right next to them, values are starting to shoot through the roof. And so, you know, in different cities are different ways. Whereas Southern California, you know, our neighborhood values last for for miles um they last by even by zip code sometimes and then where you're in philadelphia every three blocks your values can flip-flop you know there's you know being on the other side of the tracks is is a reality you can have the exact same two houses on two different sides of the tracks 150 feet away from each other and one can be worth three times the value of the other one so it, it's crazy when you look at how these cities to go and you want to get familiar with them start having an idea as you're out driving properties, you want to take a look at the people that are walking around. You know, how are they dressed? Um, what kind of clothing are they wearing? Um, are there a lot of kids around playing? Um, is there nobody on the streets at all? All of these things begin to tell you different things about the city. You know, if you see moms uh, jogging with strollers, that's going to tell you that's a pretty safe neighborhood. Um, if you see a completely vacant street as you're driving properties, that means it's a pretty strong working class neighborhood, um, maybe even a commuter neighborhood. Uh, where people are commuting a lot and so it's pretty desolate during the day and then you know in the af late afternoons evenings it just comes alive so these are things you're looking at you're wanting to figure out you know what are the schools that are around there you know um, I'll tell you if there's a lot of people you know on the street hanging out in the middle of the day um, on a weekday then that usually means it's usually a pretty rough neighborhood um, so these are different things you know you pay attention to the age you know an older rough neighborhood is a lot safer than a younger rough neighborhood um, these are things we find out um, you know, you find out different, you know, minority-based um, cities have different things. You know, whether you're in Chicago and you have Russian, you know, or, or Eastern European neighborhoods, 
or you're in Philadelphia and you have very African-American neighborhoods, you want to pay attention because it starts to give you an idea of what's going on. And the more you observe, the more you pay attention, the more you start to know your neighborhoods, know your values, know what's going on. You know, talk to the people there. You know, ask them about the neighborhood. You know, bad neighborhoods, people are going to tell you. Neighborhoods where they don't want you coming in and investing, they're going to tell you. You know, people love to talk. You just need to shut up long enough to listen to them. It's really important. You know, we're always looking at churches or other major um, community centers or other major, you know, uh, community influencers in our neighborhoods. You know, look at the cars. Um, we want to find out, you know, what kind of cars are these people driving? If everything's 2014 and beyond to, you know, 2018 cars or 2020 cars, you know, whatever it is, gives you an idea that you're in pretty, 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 pretty healthy neighborhood. Um, if everything's pre-1998 you know, cars um, and you have a lot of old, very old cars, it tells you something very different. But you know, it's different in a neighborhood where you have a lot of junk cars or a neighborhood where it's an older neighborhood that you have a lot of pre-1990 you know, cars, but they're in you know, immaculately kept in immaculate order. You, know? um, you got to look at the yards and know what's going on. You know, when we rehab properties, we like to look at what's going on in the neighborhood because there's no reason to rehab a property well beyond the normal property in a neighborhood because you're never going to get your value or your return on your dollar. You know, do you need to replace windows? Well, if nobody else in the neighborhood has nicer windows, typically you don't need to replace windows in order to sell a property. Definitely don't need to replace those windows in order to rent the property. So these are all things. These are major factors. It's just a constant collection of mental, knowledgeable assets and resources while you're driving properties. And all this helps you start to prepare for your valuations. You know, I, like I said before, don't touch anything. I say that over and over. When you go up to houses, I mean, I always say this, and I'll, I'll read the you know legal jargon. I'm not an attorney. We're not CPAs, right? We don't give any legal or financial advice. Um, we don't give any property line advice. And what I mean by that is, you know, um, we get a chance to look at a lot of the properties inside that we go and bid on, um, and we we take the due diligence to really you know get an idea of what's going on when we buy a property on the inside of it as much as humanly possible. I do not recommend that for others. Um, you know, we're experienced, tried and proven investors. You'll make your own decisions. You're adults, but I can't recommend that any of you, you know, go in the yards or look in the houses before they go to auction because, you know, you've got to do that on at, at your own discretion and, and whether that's the right thing to do or not. So um, we try to take a look in as many properties as we possibly can. Can't recommend that to you guys. Um, I think you guys all get it. So, you know, when we have our property driving kits, I'm not going to go into depth on this because we do a longer lesson on this, but, you know, we have gloves that have a sticky surface for if we need to, to, to lift a window to be able to get a look inside a house. Um, it's also just to protect your hands in general. Um, always have hand sanitizer every time you're on a property in a house. Who knows? Mold, dirt, whatever it is. Carry it with you constantly. We always have a heavy-duty crowbar uh, just in case we need it for something. A drill makes it very easy to you know pull a boarded window off of a house and then put it right back on so that you... Um, the extra skills or screws are for skills. Screws are for putting it back on if you need to. Always have a multi-purpose tool, you know, with a wrench and a knife and different things on it for you. Um, carry bug spray. Um, you know, we've literally gone, you know, two straight days looking at properties in a city, and no one gets bitten by anything. And then you go into one yard at one time, and and everybody suddenly has three mosquito bites. So uh, carry the off. Spray it on yourself every day. Um, same with you know uh, suntan lotion. Put it on every single day. Um, regardless of whether you think you're going to get burned or not, you don't realize how much you can get burned riding in a car looking at properties from morning to night. So carry a flashlight. Smaller ones are better. Tape measure. Um, sometimes you need to use this because the square footage that you know that the property is supposed to be doesn't match the property you're looking at. And it's just something for you to check out 
you know, sometimes properties have two structures, but it doesn't say that. And so the tape measure helps you figure it out. Sometimes you walk, you go up to a property that has two structures on it and you need to figure out whether that's all a part of the bid or not a part of the bid. Um, always wear boots. Um, I always wear boots that go just below my knees. Um, protects me from tall grass, protects me from bug bites, protects me from anything that's on the ground, mold or different things. You want a thick sole just in case you step on a screw or a nail or something. If Pay attention to where you're walking, but we have these things just in case. And also because in the, in uh, Houston last year, we just made this decision at all times because it's just raining so much there. We always wear bright colored shirts. You know, I wear a bright red or bright blue, um, bright blue-green sweatshirt or, or shirt every time I'm out looking at properties. I do not wear black um, or white or something that could look mischievous. You know, let people see you. Let it be known that you're there looking at the property. Um, don't try and be sneaky about it. That's how you get in trouble or that's how you get you know, into a dangerous situation or how people really, you know, don't want you there. But when you're up front, you're direct, you're bold about it, it just it just works a million times better. I always wear long sleeves, thin long sleeves if it's really hot. It's really cool. Under Armour has some great sleeves for those kind of things. Uh, we always take a drone with for us. Um, roofs tell us everything. If there's a roof leak, you can expect a whole lot more damage. No roof leak, at least you know that the property's in a little better condition. Um, so it's good to have the drone, some properties are behind, you know, long or high fence lines, so the drone also helps us get a look at those properties. Uh, that's actually me, um, and and out there looking at properties last year. Um, so you know, you can see it's a good example. Got the boots on, got the jeans, got the long sleeves on, got the bright colored sweatshirt, um, and I'm that was a house, and I think I went walked right into. It. Actually, it was a vacant house. They had the property, the the they had the the door unlocked, um, and the lights on, electricity on. Um, there's a little bit of water damage on this house when I remember if you can see the roof there There's a little bit of a slant a little bit of a thing that kind of gave me an idea that that might be there There's a little wood rot there when you look at the just above my head on the right um, It had some foundational stuff. We picked up pretty quickly um, You see the water line on the left though. That doesn't necessarily mean that there's been flooding there Sometimes it's just where a little bit of mold has crept up the wall So you got to learn the difference between mold on a wall versus versus a water line and a water line means the properties flooded before it been in a flood area so that's something to pay attention to. Uh, we typically don't buy a lot in flood areas, um, but we'll buy houses that are in flood areas if they're on a small hill, or it seems to make sense that that property's not gonna get flooded. Keep hydrated. In all my history of doing auctions, we've only had one student that ever had to go to a hospital. And she had to go to a hospital because she got dehydrated. Um, we carry cases and cases of water when we do our auctions and we're going out to evaluate properties and stuff. And you know, we handed her bottles of water, but she just kept not drinking them. But we got her taken care of. Um, the first day, you know, we had to take her to urgent care. They got her hydrated and then she came back out with us the second day and drank her water and turned out to be a great experience for her. But, you know, we take care of our people when they go out with us. So it's, you know, really important that you stay hydrated. Um, technology we use during the trips, you're always going to want to use a GIS system on your phone. This allows you to look at property lines, know where a property is going to go. Any county has its own GIS system usually, so you have to go to the county website in order to find it no matter where you're doing deals. Helps you with property lines. Uh, you will use Route for Me for routing our route um, and gives us a good idea of how long it's going to take us from the driving time standpoint. Obviously, it's always going to take you longer than what the driving time says because you're going to stop at houses, do evaluation. WhatsApp is our is our note taking place um, where everybody that you know in our group or you know anybody on your team um, they're all on WhatsApp. It's a little mobile app, easy to download for free. I think um, at Google Play Store on your cell phone, smartphone. It just is a great place to track your information, plus you can search it. So when you need to go back and get your property notes, you can do that. 
I like Realtor.com to give me a quick idea of property values because I like that I can monitor my hot mapping with Realtor.com better than I can with any other map. Um, doesn't mean that that's what I'm going to use for my final comps and those kind of things, but it, it gives me an idea. It gives me a general feel for stuff. And, and nationwide, I've found it to be a little more accurate tool, whereas some of the tools will be real accurate in one city, and in the next city, they won't be super accurate. So these are things that I like and I share with you guys. Um, I'm going to go ahead and keep on going. Um, if you aren't clear on the property lines when you're out evaluating, don't buy it. Um, we've seen houses that are split between two different properties, and one goes to sack sale and the other one doesn't. Now you only own half a house, and what are you going to do? You know, tear down the other half? I, you'd have nothing you can do there but try and figure it out with the person that owns the other property. So don't buy properties um, if, if you don't know the property lines. Um, let's go ahead and get into evaluating properties. So, um, you know, evaluating properties we do on an ABCD system. Um, you know, an A-plus property is, you know, a Beverly Hills, great neighborhoods, great schools, great shopping, secure gates, nicest of the nice. I mean, it's, it's, it's that place where, you know, someday when it's all said and done and you have all the money in the world, it might be a place you choose to live. Um, you know, it, it's great. Um, A neighborhoods are still good, not quite as sought after as Beverly Hills, but the same kind of properties. Like you can have a property that is just as quality of square footage and pool and and you know amenities and everything else is an A plus neighborhood. It just doesn't have the same name. It doesn't have the same kind of draw. Um, but these are your high end properties. Obviously, they're going to have the most value. We interrupt this broadcast to remind you to follow us on your favorite podcast platform, and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Rad Podcast. They're going to take the biggest hits in a, in, a, in a depression, but they're also going to. Well, that's not necessarily true. In your A plus neighborhoods, you're going to hold value even in a depression. Usually, in your A neighborhoods, you might lose a little value. Your A-minus neighborhoods typically take the biggest hits. Your A-minus neighborhoods are still nice neighborhoods. Uh, people are overpaid to live there a lot of times because of schools or because of the area code and that kind of stuff. The properties are are older. Um, they're usually in great condition, great shape, but they're not completely kept up. You're going to have to pay, make a serious investment to rehab these usually. Anywhere from 100 to 150 k you could be paying 50 to $60 a square foot on them, um, which we never pay you know, for, for B or C properties. So, you know, the mortgages that are out there are, um, are pretty crazy. So I get into that, but that's more about HOA stuff. Your B, B, B plus neighborhoods, um, you know, they're good properties, pretty good condition. Um, you know, they in the cities we're working in, Houston, Philly, they, they go for about 100 to 150,000. They're usually closer to downtown where they're an easy, quick drive. Um, some of them are out in the suburbs, um, but mostly they're, they're in that, 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 that kind of crazy age. They're working class neighborhoods. Um, you know they're good good neighborhoods. Um, they're gonna they're gonna you're gonna see some some decent appreciation on those. Your B neighborhoods these are lots of times are your greatest appreciation properties uh, because they're undervalued um, and they they have the ability to really get more value because they're still in a good neighborhood. Sometimes an a, a really aged ghetto that's no longer a ghetto it just has an older population that used to be ghetto but has stabilized and become better. Um, you'll see falls into a B neighborhood. Usually older properties, 30, 40 years old. Um, you know, properties are in pretty good condition in that neighborhood, uh, but they're not, you know, they definitely are going to need work. A B minus neighborhood. And so every time we go out to a property, we're, we're evaluating, I'm looking at a property and I say, is that an A, B, or C? Okay, that's a B. Now, in the beginning, you're going to be guessing a little bit and you're not going to have a lot to work from. Once you've done 100 properties, 
it's going to get faster, easier, and better. But you have to do it. And I do it all the time. You know, I'll be driving to some place I haven't been before, and my mind's already operating. Like, I could be going to visit a friend in, in, a, in another town. I'd be like, okay, this looks like a B-minus neighborhood. Well, we're moving into a B neighborhood. We might be getting to a yellow-green here, which is, you know, a, a moving and shaking, kind of getting hotter neighborhood. We might be moving into, oh, these cars are, oh, wow, we just went into a neighborhood and all the cars are pre-2000. Pre uh, it got a little rough all of a sudden. Oh, we're on our way down. And I, just my mind runs that way all the time. It's like, you know, when I'm driving and I see, you know, all the kinds of different businesses, I'm like, what kind of person owns that? That's just, just how I think. So so these B-Niners neighborhoods are in fair condition. Um, they could appreciate. They might not appreciate. You know, you're in that kind of gray area. You usually have a low cost of purchase um, and, and better rentals. These are big-time rental neighborhoods, B-Niners neighborhoods. So these are good things for you guys to be, to be thinking about. Um, your C-plus neighborhoods is when you start to get into a little rougher neighborhood. still pretty safe. Pretty good condition, but you know you have your lower middle class um, to your 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 working active poor um, there. Um, functional, not not many boarded up houses. Maybe occasionally you have one on a street or two, but but pretty good neighborhoods. Great rentals. Tougher, but it's tougher and protected. Like you'll have it tougher, and the people in the neighborhood will have a sense of community pride, civic pride. Pretty good. Um, you know, see, you're gonna definitely have boarded up houses. Um, you know, there's some foreclosures on the street. Um, you know, danger starts to come to mind when you come into these neighborhoods. You gotta have to start being more cautious, more aware. You're not, you know, they're not gonna appreciate at all. That's why, you know, a hundred years later, it's still worth forty thousand, and it was worth forty thousand thirty years ago, right? So, you know, they're not going to. Um, and so, you know, you need to pay attention to what's going on. If you feel in danger, move on. Don't, don't, don't. You know, don't take some risk. You don't need to take. Um, C minus is where danger comes to mind. Um, you know, I, I make sure you smile and wave, and I'll cover that in a minute. It's a very, and one of our most important tools when driving properties. Um, don't be suspicious. Um, you know what I mean is, don't you know, go sneaking into a backyard to get in the look of a house. Um, you know, that's that makes it rougher. Um, so we classify all our properties as A, B, C, or D neighborhoods, um, and and these are really really important uh, for you to pay attention to. Um, and and I think think you're gonna find that if, when you start doing this, you're gonna start really knowing. Like, I can go through Houston now, and I don't even have need comps. I can go through, and I can classify the neighborhood and classify the area, proximity to downtown, and give you a pretty good idea of what a property's worth. Um, because I've been doing it so long, Philadelphia, I'm not quite as close as I am in Houston, where I'm still using evaluation tools. Southern California, I'm pretty spot on. Uh, I don't miss too much there. Um, because these are places where I've done enough deals and a lot of deals. But almost anywhere, once I know what the general pricing is, of, of, a, of a city or a town, I'll have a good idea based on where we're driving and the look of the houses and the feel of everything and the people and everything else we talked about of, of what the value is. So um, this is good. Um, D, you know, say pass. A lot of board up houses. Flooding has devastated it. It's good, good for hot mapping because it'll tell you if the neighborhood is moving into a positive way or a negative way. Um, you know, a lot of teardowns um, in these kind of neighborhoods. But this, this is just dangerous. You know, this is, this is where war zones are. Um, this you'll see active drug dealing um, in these neighborhoods. Um, you're more likely to see the drug users than the drug dealers. Drug dealers don't live in deal D neighborhoods, but drug users do. Um, addicts there. You'll see a lot of squatters, a lot of vagrants. You know, with the D properties, it's rough, man. It's it's scary. You know, you realize you're in a D neighborhood, you'll know. You'll know. You need to move on. Um, and don't don't even you know try to be tough or diligent with it. Just move on. There's no reason for for it. There's plenty of properties out there to keep keep driving. Um, Everybody on your computer right now, just take a big smile and wave. 
And I know you guys think this is funny, but smile and wave at your computer. And what that means is, is that every time I'm out there doing deals, there's something where people are nervous or you need to put people at ease. So when you learn to smile and wave effectively, you put everybody at ease. I'm walking up to a door and, and, and an owner or a person living in it comes to the front door looking kind of scowling, kind of angry. I smile and wave. They always come out and talk to you. I walk up to a fence line where somebody's in the yard and, and I smile and wave. They come up and talk to you. I'm driving my car because when you're driving a lot of properties, this stuff happens. You accidentally cut someone off. They start to get angry. Just smile and wave. It is the, the most you know self-protective um, thing I can tell you about. I've been in neighborhoods where I just, you know, they didn't want me there and I smiled and wave. And even the toughest, strangest human being you've ever seen smiled and waved back. So it's an important tool when you're out there evaluating neighborhoods and stuff. So um, when I'm evaluating properties, you know, it's very, very important that, um, that you calculate it based on rehab. Um, and, and that's what, what, what the, actual, the actual houses are. So first thing we just did was evaluating neighborhoods. Now we're going to talk about evaluating the extra houses themselves. Um, you know, there's a different kind of rehabs too. You know, you can re rehab a property to make it livable, safe, and habitable, um, even while you're in redemption period, and they're supposed to cover that. Whether the courts enforce that or not, it's a little hit and miss. Most people wait to rehab their properties till after redemption period is ended. I typically don't wait, and the reason I don't wait is because we do so many properties that if it ever becomes an issue and, and, and I take a small loss, it, it'll more than be covered by all the large gains that we make. So... I'm playing a little bit, bit different, bigger numbers game than most of you, but really it's safer for you to wait till redemption periods are up in order to begin rehabbing. Um, we use an A through C grading scale with rehabbing properties. Uh, we always evaluate the, the house from top down, which means you start with the roof, you work all the way to the basement. Um, you know, Then we work the innards of the walls to the surface. Uh, the innards is your piping, it's your, um, you know, it's your, your um, electricity, it's, it's your, you know, you know, stabilization of the house. Um, it's the inner workings of it, right? And so making sure that the property is, is intact the way it needs to be. So these are things how we evaluate them, how we start pricing things out are a lot of different ways. Um, our rehab estimates, you know, kind of, we get them a little bit cheaper than what you will um, because we have our good teams working for quite a while. But, you know, a full gut rehab, on average, I'm charging for, you know, I'm paying $40 a square foot. Heavy rehabs, $30 a square foot. A half have uh, carpets and walls and and, and some basic things is $20 a square foot. A remodel, refurbish, I'm thinking about $10 a square foot. Carpets, you know, wood flooring, maybe I'm paying $5 to $10 a square foot, depending on how high end or how low end it is. It, you know, I think it's a, a good marker. Um, in Philadelphia, I pay more for my rehabs than I do in California or in Houston. Houston, I pay less than I do in either one of the other two places for my rehabs based on cost of labor, cost of materials, and those kind of things. Uh, Philly's just in more more expensive to rehab property, so everywhere is going to be a little different. But this at least gives you a baseline to work for. Even if a property looks perfect, like look fresh off the assembly line right out of the manufacturer, this house looks perfect. When I'm doing my evaluations, I'm going to lot for a 15k rehab no matter what. There's just too many things that you cannot know till you own the house, till you have a legit inspector go through the house. So there's just no way. So you have to allot for 15k even if you think there's no rehab at all. So in running the numbers, getting an idea on this thing and how it works, our max bids for bidding properties is typically we're going to take 20% off the top no matter what. We're going to take at least a 15K rehab no matter what. And so the most I would ever bid on a $100,000 property is you take 100 minus the 20% is 80 minus the 15 is 65. 
Um, you'll never find me bid more than 65 cents on the dollar for a property um, uh, that's a 100K property. That percentage might change a little bit if it's a 200 or 400K property, but really 65 cents is, is most likely the most I'm going to bid. Now, when you're bidding, if you're a buy and hold buyer, you can pay more than a flipper can because a flipper's got to pay the least amount for a property to get their valuation added. If you're going to live in the property, you obviously can bid more than an investor can buy and hold. So these are just some of the factors to think about. And also when you're bidding against people, you know, you kind of get an idea. Is that an investor? Is that a flipper? Is that a buy and hold person? Is that a cash flow person? When you're down at the auctions all the time, you start to get a good feel for what other investors are, what other bidders are, and it can make a real big difference. Um, typically what I will do when I'm out there bidding properties, I'll take the 20% off the top, but then I'll usually take another 5% or 10% depending on my feel of the situation just as an extra buffer. So lots of times on a 100K property, 60%, 60% of the property is usually about as high as I'll go. I could be pushed to 65 if I really like the deal. So as I'm looking at properties and I'm going through my ABC grading scale, this becomes really important. So my A properties need little to no rehab at all, right? And, and so that gives me a really good idea that I'm going to do at least that 15K buffer in there. And, and But these A properties are in good pearl condition. Um, it doesn't matter whether they're in an A, B, or C neighborhood, right? Square footage doesn't matter. It's purely the condition of the properties. Um, my A minus properties maybe need a little TLC, tender loving care, but they're not going to need a lot of work. My B properties are going to be the stuff that definitely needs you know, some work, definitely needs some rehab. Still in good condition. The inner workings are there. The electricity, the plumbing's in there. The electric's in there. The, the, the HVAC's in there. Um, but you know, you definitely need paint, new carpets, definitely need a lot of, a lot of work. You might not have to, you might have to replace some, some roof. Um, there's usually one major thing that you have to fix on the house on a B property. And then our C properties, these, these things are going to be full rehabs or a gut job. You know, you're going to be paying heavy amounts of money, 40 to $50 a square foot to get these things rehabbed. Um, you know, this is something for you to know. And, and when you ABC them, you start to get this idea on how to run your numbers really effectively. And D properties are literally like teardowns. They're just like the junk of the junk of the junk. So, you know, this is evaluating properties. This is running the numbers. The last thing I'm going to say to all of you is just don't fall in love with any one property. Um, it becomes, you know, detrimental to your ability to do real estate to fall in love with a property. So I want all of you to, to, to know that. It's always the next property. It's the next deal. Um, people who fall in love with properties always over-evaluate them. They overprice them. Their bid max bids are way too high. Um, so loved working with all of you today. Um, it's been a great webinar. Um, I'll be on with you to be able to answer questions and things. Um, but God bless, and I'll talk to all of you real, real soon. Thank you for listening to The Rad Podcast, an exploration of wealth. For more information, please visit our website, www.raddiversified.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please leave us a review and let us know how we're doing.